0: Hello again, will you join me in Luke chapter 3? The last three weeks we've been in Luke chapter 3, but we've been out of order chronologically because we've been following our daily Bible reading themes. The first one being a time for encouragement, then last week a time for renewal, and tomorrow we start a new week, a time for justice. And so our passages in Luke chapter 3 have been introducing that Theme. I hope that you guys have been enjoying our daily Bible readings and devotionals from NT Wright, as well as our Advent calendar with readings and activities for our neighborhood kids. So here's where we're headed. Here's where we're headed with a time for justice in Luke chapter 3. We're going to ask the question what is John doing with these dramatic words that we're about to read? The second part of our talk this evening will be. What are two marks for kingdom living? John gives at least two marks of what it looks like to know when you're really in tune living with God's kingdom. That's where we're headed. Hope you'll stick with us. Luke chapter 3. Let's read beginning in verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Ouch. Produce fruit. In keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts or coats should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I will come, and the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Man, what is John doing? That's the first part of our message this evening. And to illustrate, I grabbed my guitar. I learned to play guitar when I was 13 years old and if you've learned to play a stringed instrument you learn real quick you got to keep that thing in tune otherwise it sounds something like this now you don't have to be a musician to know that this does not sound right that's because it's out of tune those pitches are are in conflict with one another. They're not in harmony with one another. So I got to take this out of tune string and get it into harmony or unity with this string that's in tune. That's one of the things I learned early on to cheat, to tune the rest of my strings to the one that's in tune. So what I do is I find this one pitch here that's in tune. And I got to bring that one into harmony so it can sound like this. Otherwise, it doesn't quite sound right, does it? There's tension, there's conflict in the air, in the sound waves. So I've got to bring, you hear it? What's out of tune and out of sync into harmony, or even unity. This is what John is doing. Let me explain a little more. You see, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, everything you see and everything you can't. And before humans were ever on the scene, God called this creation good. There was something baked within creation that reflected God's character and goodness. And to take it a step further, when he created humanity, he didn't just call us good, he created us in his image. And whatever it means to be made in the image or likeness of God, surely it means that we were created for relationship and partnership with God. But the thing is, we can choose to not be in relationship. We can choose to not be in partnership. And what happened very early on, is that humankind chose to go their own way. The Bible has a word for it, and it's called sin. And one of the definitions of sin in the Bible is to miss the mark. Imagine an arrow aimed at a target, and this went way far afield. So when you have enough people introducing disorder and chaos and sin into God's good creation, you get an imbalance. You get people going their own way, missing the mark left and right, and we get a world that is too often out of tune, in conflict and in disunity with God and our willingness to be in relationship and partnership with Him. That imbalance takes multitude of forms but we see it most often when there's people that have too little and people that have too much so here's the good news since day 1 god has called and empowered and worked with his people to bring balance where there was imbalance to Tune earth to match the frequency of heaven. So he calls for us to give to those who have too little so that we might bring balance where there is imbalance. Where you see people neglected like orphans and widows and the strangers and the foreigners. Guess what? For millennia, God has called, empowered, and worked with his people to bring balance where there is imbalance. Where you see people that are denied a voice in a place because of where they come from or how they look or their background or status. God has called and empowered and works with people people in relationship and partnership to bring balance where there is imbalance. The biblical word for that is justice. And what John is doing is being a voice crying out that the time has come to bring your life in tune with God's kingdom so that when God's king arrives, you can hear his call and follow him. John is trying to bring his people Israel into tune with God's kingdom because the sad reality is too many of them couldn't even hear that their guitar has been out of tune. For too long they had been waiting for God's coming king but they were doing so in a way that was in conflict and disunity, they had forgotten their call to bring balance and justice where there was imbalance, and so John arrived on the scene to make straight a path and to call people to bring their lives into tune with God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what John is doing. That's why John is the Advent character we keep returning to because we have got to hear those ways in which we've been out of tune so that we might be ready to listen for the voice of the king who says, come to me, come follow me. John is readying a people ready to receive God's king. Now, this isn't just theory for John and those crowds. He's going to give them some dramatic, drastic life and death principles to get yourself ready to know that you are living in tune with God's kingdom. So the second half of my message, I want to look at two marks for kingdom living. Two marks so that we can know we're living in tune with God's kingdom. You see that in John's dramatic call to the crowd. Let me illustrate my second half of the message this way. A long time ago, I think Amy was in college, this happened. She ate a Special K protein bar. It was a strawberry flavor. You've had the kinds like with the granola and the little bits of fruit baked within it. So Amy eats one of these, doesn't think anything of it, and goes on about her her evening until she goes to sleep. It wasn't long after that she was awakened from a dead sleep because her lips were on fire. She runs to the bathroom mirror and sees her lips swollen, her face swollen. She had a Hitch movie moment of an allergic reaction. I said that weird. Allergic reaction. So she runs to the trash can to find that wrapper. And she starts looking at the ingredients to her strawberry protein bar. And you know what she finds? Man, that thing ain't strawberry at all. The second ingredient on that list was strawberry-flavored cranberries. Strawberry-flavored cranberries. Here's the problem. Amy is allergic to cranberries. They we're trying to sell something that was a cheap substitute so here is our first mark that john is calling into tune for god's kingdom god invites us calls us to live an authentically fruitful life not a cheap religious substitute The first mark is authenticity. God is calling these crowds, these brood of vipers, these culturally religious, let me go check this thing out. He's calling them not to a cheap religious substitute. He's calling them to live an authentically fruitful life. Because just like that special K bar, if you start living and ingesting a cheap substitute for too long, it's going to make you sick. And pretty soon, people are going to look at that ingredient list and realize it is a fake and false advertising, and it does damage not only to your own soul, your own heart within, it does damage to a world that is already experiencing way too much imbalance. So John is calling these crowds, his people, to get in tune with God's kingdom, to actually live the life that they've been called to. Because a life that's transformed within leads to a transformed world. So these crowds come and the religious, pious leaders come to check out what's what and basically they're saying, hey, I can get dunked too. I'm a religious leader that does all the right religious rituals and John says, no, 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 no. This baptism is more than just a dunk in a river. It's a transformative process that speaks to the transformative reality that you are putting to death, that outward, fake religiosity and ritual. This just is not some other thing on your church spiritual bucket list to say, well, my family is religious, and oh, well, I got dunked when I was a kid. No, the world doesn't need more cheap substitutes. The world needs people living authentically in relationship and partnership with God. So if you're here just to get wet in the river, you're at the wrong place. John is calling for an authentic, fruitful life. That's why he says, prove your repentance by bearing real fruit, not strawberry flavored cranberries. You with me? You hear me? They said, yeah, but I'm a child of Abraham. I'm the one in the in crowd. And John is saying, dude, enough with that. If God wanted more of them, he could transform these rocks laying over here into children of Abraham. The thing about the life with God is that it must be intentional and it must be individual. God calls a people. God works with the people. But at the micro level, the people involves you and me intentionally turning to God and saying, you're Lord, I'm not, and I want to live my life accordingly. One of our homeless friends we knew years and years ago came to this realization that... It's not just a cultural thing. It's not just because I went to my grandma's church. It's not just because I did this or that ritual and went to this mass or attended that service and walked that aisle. At some point, there needs to be this heart transformation. And she said these words I'll never forget. I came to a point where I realized that nobody's going to have a relationship with Jesus for me. This is what John is doing. He's calling you and you and you and you and me and me and me to be real and to live an authentic life that proves itself in repentance. Now, real repentance bears real fruit. That Bible word repentance means this, and you can write this down. It's a change of heart that leads to a change in action. A change in heart that leads to a change in direction. A reorientation to God that leads to a change in how you relate to others. We won't always be perfect. There's a repentance that's kind of the first turn. God, I give you my life. Jesus, you are Lord. I give you my life to follow you. That's that earth-shattering, game-changing, I'm living my life for you, Jesus. Jesus. But fast forward to the moment that you run off track, you miss the mark, you're going to need to keep turning and reorienting your face and your feet back toward Jesus. You won't be perfect, but if you're following Jesus, it's more about are you going to keep turning back to him? We believe that when you turn to Jesus and say, you are Lord and I give you my life, You are forgiven. Jesus has said yes to you. God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 5. He has kicked open the door. His arms are open. He said yes to you so that when you say yes to him, you get to personally appropriate and receive that reconciliation and forgiveness. Sin, past, present, future, done for, forgiven. That's Colossians chapter 2. But there are those ways in which we drift off the path. So the word for us is repentance. To turn back a change of heart that leads to a change in direction. John is calling these people to repent of lip service. To repent of pseudo-Christianity. No more of this. Yeah, I believe in God, but I'm going to be racist and xenophobic and homophobic. I'm going to hate people, denigrate people. I'm going to divide people and cast people out. No more of this pseudo lip service. Deny it with your lifestyle, Christianity. Because real repentance, real inner transformation is evidenced in a transformed life. To be in tune with the kingdom is to live an authentically fruitful life. It means that the forgiven becomes the forgiver. It means that the liberated becomes a liberator of others. It means the blessed becomes the blessor of others. The beloved or the loved becomes the lover of neighbor. A transformed heart, a repentant heart, leads to authentically fruitful life. Because even this kingdom is for tax collectors and soldiers and sinners ready to give their life to this coming king and to live in tune with God's kingdom. John's not calling to replace his people Israel. He's calling to restore it. To expand it. So the crowd comes, and we see the second mark of authentic, in tune, restorative kingdom living. And it looks like this here's the second mark it's generosity. God invites us to live generously, not selfishly. In verse 11, he essentially says, If you've got it, give it, right? He says, If you've got two coats, give one to somebody that doesn't have any. If you've got food, give some to somebody that's starving. If you've got it, give it. Why? Because if you meant it, you'll live it. Activist Dorothy Day that I greatly admire said, or at least it's attributed to her that she said, if you have two coats, you've stolen one from the poor. Wow. What she's effectively saying is more than just clear out your hand-me-downs like we've been doing with the clothes closet, which is a good, wonderful place to start. But what John is after, what Dorothy Day is echoing, is more than just a, okay, sure, I'll give a little bit here. I'll check the box. It's less of a stuff question right? Okay, well, what coats should I give? Okay, well, what food should I give? Okay, well, to whom shall I give it? It's less of a nice, churchy, okay, I'll do a little this, I'll do a little that. It's less of a stuff question. It's more of a heart question. And the heart question looks like this. How much is enough for me to really hold on to? The second heart question is outward-looking. How much can I really give to my neighbor? Because the truth of the matter is, for disciples of Jesus, it is a real test of discipleship over and over again in the life and teaching of Jesus and in the teaching of the New Testament that we've got to put our money where our mouth is. Jesus said, and we read it this week in our Advent devotionals, that you can't serve God and money. There's one Lord of our life and we've given our all to Him and we evidence that. We can see that heart transformation if it's leading to a generous life because God has called us to live generously, not selfishly. If spiritual reform does not lead to an economic reform, that bringing balance where there's imbalance, that produces justice, then I'm not sure that it's a real spiritual reform at all. You see, as American Christians, we have gotten more and more in tune with consumerism and less and less in tune with the radical generosity that is foundational to what it means to live in God's kingdom. You see, too often we think about what we can keep and earn and spend and collect But the clear New Testament call over and over is to evidence that heart transformation and how we open-handedly give to those that are in need. This week, one of the staff at The Rock received some energy drink donations. One of the trucks that makes deliveries will sometimes drop by and give a crate of an energy drink. And he thought, man... You know, that might be pretty nice if I just had one of them. You know, it's harmless. I mean, it's for the community, and I'm here. And then a homeless person walks in, sees the energy drinks, and he gives the energy drinks to him. And he goes, okay, okay, I got you, God, (laughs) in a small little way where he's kind of winking and laughing like, all right, maybe there's something to it. And then just to kind of reinforce that inkling, somebody that... Donates and sells ice cream bars came in and said hey y'all want this box of ice cream bars to give to the kids that come for the after school program. He says yeah sure we'll take it puts it in the freezer and he starts having that same thought again. Hey you know what man I love those things and I mean it's for the community. Why can't I just have one then a mom comes in with her kids to register for our Christmas party and he gives them those ice cream bars. Then another guy that comes and hangs out at The Rock comes and he gives that ice cream bar. And each step of the way, with a wink and a smile, he's like, yep, yep, isn't it something? These things that we've been given are meant to be given. And what's remarkable is that lest you think that I'm advocating for empty it all, go for broke, bankrupt yourself— Understand that what happens next gets at a heart level question beyond just a stuff level question. When the tax collectors come, they say, what do we do? What do we do to get in tune, to live authentically and generously in God's kingdom? He says, hey, don't take more and exploit people than what you're supposed to. You see, tax collectors in those days were contractors, and they worked for the hated Romans, and they would work at these toll booths and these levees, and whatever they would take off the top is what they would earn. And so these people were hated because these people paying these tolls would do the math and think, surely it doesn't cost this much. And this, by the way, is within a time period where they're already getting taxed 20 30% or higher on their income. So they hated these tax collectors. And when they say, what do we do? John says, don't put on sackcloth. Don't go to the temple and sacrifice don't do all the things that would have been good and right to do. He says, if you really are changing your heart, let's see that fruitfulness in a change in life. And the next time that somebody comes to that toll booth, are you going to receive enough and no more? The soldier comes and he doesn't say, get out, unenlist, even though... That's a real heavy tension for God's people to be a soldier. Although he probably has Herod's soldiers in view, the temple soldiers in view. But he knows enough that those soldiers weren't always living in tune with God's kingdom and justice. So he tells them, if you really have a heart transformation, let's prove it with repentance. And the next time that you encounter those ruffians on the street, don't shake them down and exploit them for a bribe. Don't shake them down and say, this person said this or that and get a little kickback. No, Real repentance bears real fruit, and it looks like an authentically fruitful life. It looks like a generous life, and for us, we've got to be asking those heart questions. In the most consumeristic season of our cultural year, how much really is enough? How much am I called to give? Not just keep, but how much am I called to radically, generously, sacrificially give to restore balance where there's imbalance. This radical and dramatic call and this evidence of this authentically fruitful life, this restoration and preparation movement got people talking. And they're like, yo, is John the king? And John is so quick to say, guys, 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 no, no, no. I'm barely his assistant. The one coming is not just going to dunk you in some water. He's going to fill you with the very presence of the living God. He's going to fill you with the fire of heaven. But here's the thing when this king arrives. This king comes not just to deliver, but to separate and divide those who are really in tune with God's kingdom and those who aren't. I know a lot of you are troubled with that language that the fruitless trees are going to get thrown into the fire, because that's a metaphor that's throughout the scriptures that say, look, if you're not actually living an authentically fruitful life, then the only thing you're really worth for is firewood, because that's what dead trees and branches are used for. We're troubled by that language of the separation of the wheat and the chaff and the unquenchable fire And that Jesus comes not just as deliverer, but thresher with a winnowing fork, that would have been a very common idea and image in their day, where you'd have a flat surface, the threshing floor, on a high hill where the wind blows through, so that when they gather the grain, he takes that fork, that tool, and he sifts and throws and tosses the wheat stems so that the heavy kernels and grains that you would use to bake and eat will drop to the the bottom of that flat ground, and the Wheat, the chaff, the things that aren't necessary will just blow in the wind. The work that John's doing, the marks that he's calling us to, is a separation of who really gets it and who's settling for a cheap substitute, complicit in the imbalance, sickening themselves and sickening others, because God has always called, empowered, and worked with his people for justice and balance. And to go against the grain of God and his reconciling love is to find yourself out of touch with life itself. So for John, he uses this dramatic language because it is a matter of life and death. In the present tense, the king has come and you've got to hear his call and get on board because the time is up. The axe is at the tree. It's time to separate who's in and who's not. And those who are not are going to find themselves going against the grain of God and his love. And I think that some of this language does hint at an eternal consequence. Now, what we see throughout the scriptures in the Old and New Testament is that to be in line and in league with God, to give him your life, is to find that God gives you his life in return. Jesus speaks of this as eternal life, eternal in quality, the life of heaven, and eternal in quantity, life that goes on into perpetuity. In John 3:16 he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him give their life to him should not perish and die. Because to go against the grain of life is to encounter death. We see that the wages of sin is death. So for John it is life and death. Paul says in the letters to Timothy, that God alone is immortal. And we see elsewhere that the gift of God is eternal life. So to be in line with God, to give your life to God, is to have God give you His life in return. That's eternal in quality, the life of heaven, and eternal in quantity, the life that goes on. And for those that don't choose God's life, God gives them what they want. And they find themselves settling for all the cheap substitutes and the image of this transient passing chaff that gets burned up into nothing. I believe the biblical view of eternal judgment is that to be in God's life is to experience God's life eternally. And those that reject it, we see, are burned up and they die and they remain dead. It's eternal in quantity in that respect. And with John, it's a present tense that that life of heaven starts now. Get in on it now before it's too late, before you do experience the wages of sin that is death. I don't believe that God keeps these people alive eternally when God alone is immortal to consciously torment them There's too much language in scripture that speaks to the fact that the wicked pass away like the chaff in the wind. And so it is a life and death matter to choose Jesus because he's chosen you to repent, to turn your face and your feet toward the path of Jesus because his life is on offer. A life that is eternal, not just in quality, but in quantity, to live forever in love when he returns and makes all things new. And so that's the invitation for us. If you've never said yes to Jesus, know that he said yes to you. God is calling That you can repent to turn from your way to your from your um, own way of life and to say, Jesus, I turn to you. You are Lord and I give my life to follow your life, to take on your rhythms, your practices. I'm getting my life in tune with you. That's the invitation. If you're doing that for the first time, would you holler at me? Would you reach out to me? Would you set off with us or another church that it will help you grow in your lifelong journey with Jesus. For those of us who have said yes, the call is this. What habits or hang-ups are getting me out of tune in my life with God? What lifestyle changes are needed to live more authentically and generously in this Advent season? John's dramatic words we don't often look at this plainly, this directly, but it's a matter of life and death. And we as God's people are people of light and life and justice. And he's calling us to hear the tune of heaven and to bring our lives into harmony and unity with it so that we might be a people living authentically and generously for him. Amen.